Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 3 this morning. Romans chapter 3. Our text will be found in verse 9 through 20. I know that you're probably thinking, wait a minute, uh, Pastor Tim, uh, it's almost Christmas time here, like we need to be celebrating, and it's festive, and it's light, and it's merry, and you're in a really heavy text. Yes, we are in a very heavy text, but it is important, and bear with me as we see good news in the midst of a really bad news world. You know, I was thinking about that uh, IMB video that we saw, Missionaries to Italy. And I love the description. Did you hear the description about what is it to be Italian? It's like you talk with your hands and it's relationships and it's family and it's food. You realize that as we have been giving attention to the church at Rome, these are the people. That, that's the church that we're talking about. So we have a little bit of an understanding of the recipients by way of they enjoyed time together, they enjoyed family, they enjoyed food, they talked with their hands. I think there's some Italian people in our congregation, probably. Um, a heavy text, but it is a necessary text. And we will see God's wonderful grace even in the midst of this. As Matt and the rest led us, with this very thought. Come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him. That is our prayer this morning, that we would truly, truly, with all of the busyness around us, pause for a few moments, and through the ministry of the Spirit of God, as we open our hearts to the Word of God, may we adore the Lord now more than ever before. We need to go to the Lord first and foremost in prayer. I know that there is just some, just some heaviness with a difficult year. Um, I commend your stalwartness for being out, digging yourselves out of snow, for being here this morning on a cold, cold day. But may we be encouraged with our time together in the Word. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we begin? Father, I thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We thank you for your word that is, is perfect, is the perfect word that we need to hear. Father, I, I pray for individuals. Lord, there are many who are going through difficult times. And I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to them to bring comfort where comfort is needed. To bring a sense of strength and peace. Father, we pray, Lord, for those who are going through um, dark seasons. Seasons of fear, seasons of unknown, seasons of missing loved ones. I would pray, Lord, that you would minister as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That you promised to be so that we can be a comfort to others who are in any affliction. Father, personally, I, I pray for help this morning. I pray that you would be heard, that you would be the focus, that you would be glorified. And that the body of believers that is gathered here right now at Big Woods or those that are gathered online, Father, that they would be built up, that they would be edified, 
through your ministry to our hearts this morning. Thank you for your love for us. And thank you for the hope that exists in Jesus that brings light to the midst of darkness. Bless us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you recall, last Sunday we were together, we talked about, um, we introduced Romans chapter 3, and I talked about the fact, basically it's, it's one subject that flows all the way through Romans chapter 3. So I was going to preach one message, I was just going to divide it into part 1, part 2, and part 3. The one subject deals with the righteousness of God. And so in the three different sections, we looked last week at the standard, today we look at the dilemma, and then following we'll look at the solution so we've looked at the standard of god's righteousness we talked about it's consistent he is consistent in his faithfulness to us he is constant in his justice and he reveals himself as he reveals his righteous self to us through the person that he is which means that what when god is constant regardless of any of our actions or reactions Regardless of any of your belief, responses, or lack thereof, let me remind you of this. God remains. Everything kind of moves and vacillates. God remains. He is what? He is ever-present. He is all-powerful. He is righteous. He is right. If you're ever wondering, like, right or wrong, God is always going to be on the right side. Dutch Prime Minister Neo-Calvinist, his name was Abraham Kuyper, he says this, There is not one inch in all the universe that the sovereign God does not declare mine. Just, just give thought to that. We need to be reminded of that today, probably more than ever before. There isn't one inch, there isn't one motion, one movement, one thought that sovereign God does not point at and declare, that's mine. He is in complete control, even when it looks like things are spiraling out of control. We've considered the standard, what I call the righteousness of God. Today we'll look at the dilemma. The dilemma is the unrighteousness of man. It's here. We have to acknowledge it. Let's begin in verse 9, Romans chapter 3. The author, the Apostle Paul, writing to this church in Rome. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin 
and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Okay, here we go. How how many times have you heard someone share the gospel with a lead-in that sounds something like this? And even before that, let me just give you a little hint. You know how we've had some snow recently? Like a little, just a little touch of snow? If you ever are looking for opportunities for a lead-in to the gospel, which is kind of what we're supposed to be doing, keep a shovel in your back seat okay and as you're driving around and you see someone that's like struggling to shovel just stop pull over and help them you all you're doing is just loving your neighbor and guess what happens when you're shoveling next to someone you talk to them you're not looking for for getting anything back you're not going to get an extra parking spot in heaven just keep your shovel in your back seat pull over and it's an amazing opportunity to create dialogue about the gospel of jesus christ and that's what we do that's what we are who we are as a local church how many times have you heard someone share the gospel with a lead-in that sounds something like this we've probably all heard this if if you were to die tonight and stand before god and god said why should i let you into my heaven the overwhelming response is going to sound something like this the overwhelming answer that you will hear from people sounds something like this well i i why should i be let into well i lived a pretty good life probably the number one response of why is it that god i've lived a pretty good life i i went to church my granddaddy was a preacher I coached Little League years ago, and I give to charity, and there's this list. There's no arrest warrants out for me. I've never been charged with murder. And so there's this this response that people automatically say, well, I've got a list of really good things of why I deserve to go to heaven. I, I want you to understand this. All of those responses are under the pretense of a righteousness now what is righteousness again the quality of being morally right or justifiable all of the answers are on a pretense of righteousness that has no substance to it at all so when everyone gives an answer like i lived a pretty good life or i didn't spend that long in detention it's a pretense That there's no substance to the righteousness. Basically, the equivalent would be something like this. Because I I love baseball. And I collect baseballs. And I watch baseball. Because of that, I deserve to play in the major leagues. It's really that kind of, like, that's absolutely absurd. Because I love this, and because I collect these, and because they're lined up, yeah, I, I take a large. I want to wear number 28, please. You want to get my jersey ready? How stupid is that? 
I, I, I just, no, I don't deserve. I got no shoulder left. How's that going to happen? It's the same idea when people say, what? I deserve heaven because of. Now, now the Holy Spirit doesn't stutter. The Holy Spirit didn't stutter as he directed the Apostle Paul to write in the middle of an entire chapter on the righteousness of God for this phrase to appear. What? All, both Jews and Greeks, which divides everyone in human mankind into two categories. Either you're Jewish or you're not. If you're not, then you're Jew It's one or the other. So what? The Holy Spirit writes both Jews and Greeks are under sin, under the weight, being crushed. And then the Holy Spirit directs Paul to say what? To write as it is written. What does that mean? Whenever you see that phrase, as it is written, what is happening in the New Testament? It takes us back to the Old Testament. It's a little lesson that you learn whenever you hear, as it is written, you're going to go back and you're going to find. This is actually a direct quote that comes from Psalm chapter 14. David is the author here. It's part of the Psalter, which means it's actually meant to be sung. It's a community lament. It actually parallels Psalm chapter 53. And it goes something like this. Matt, you want to put this in the worship mix. Let's all sing this one together. None of us are righteous. No, not one. Doesn't that sell well? That'll fill a church up. That's what they used to sing. As it is written, there is no one that's righteous. Oh yeah, by the way, let's repeat that again. I feel like I'm talking to a two-year-old. Like, no, I said no, no, no. What's happening here? Intentional emphasis. Something that is repeated, there's no one righteous. Guess what? There's not one of you. There's not one of you. Intentional emphasis towards what? Towards a dilemma. I know it's like heady this morning, like, oh man. A, a dilemma is what? It is a difficult situation or a problem. So we're repeating something that doesn't sound very good so that we understand the idea there's something not very good here. What is, what is the dilemma? What is this dilemma? One of my favorite commentators, Matthew Henry, says this. The habitual defect of everything that is good. None that has an honest good principle of virtue or is governed by such a principle. None that retains anything of what image of God consisting in righteousness. So we have a dilemma here. And not just the people that what, talk with their hands, that kiss on either side of the cheek that they're talking about here, that love food. Not, not just the Romans, not just the Jews, but to every single one of us that are under the teaching of God's word this morning, we have a dilemma, and the dilemma is this. There's a habitual defect in us that steers to everything that is not good. Merry Christmas to you. What, why? Because we're, we're, something is being painted here, what I refer to as the darkest, the darkest of nights, because everyone is under sin. If, if Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, 
that we just concluded reading, if, if all of that was a canvas, and you were to go to your, your studio, and you were to paint, you would have to take, I actually looked it up, you'd have to take the blackest of pitch black paint that you could ever find. Mr. Brady might know what this is. It's called BOK 3.0 Raven Carbon Acrylic. Yeah, yeah. We would have to take, we'd have to take BOK 3.0 to paint the entire canvas absolutely black. But what? What? Light is only needed when there is darkness. How many of you have been outside in the most brilliant of bright, sunshiny days and said, if only I had a flashlight right now? That's just, that doesn't work. Nobody says, hey, could you hit the light switch for me if the light switch is already on? Which means light really is not even needed if it's already light. Light, therefore, is only needed when it is dark. This explains... Why Jesus declared in John chapter 8, I, I am the light of the world. If there's, if there's nothing else that kind of warms our hearts in these cold, dark days, pause, just stop and think about what Jesus says, I in the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Likewise, we're not, we're not ready to hear the good news of the gospel. We're not ready to enjoy the light of Jesus until we all first know and understand the indictments of all of humanity that has been placed upon us, that comes to us from God himself. What is the indictment? Guilty. Guilty. Every single one of us. That's Romans chapter 3, 9 through 20. Guilty. What's, what's the hard? There's, there's many. This is like hard to digest at some level. What, what, what is hard? Part of the hard part of this truth is that it is in complete contradiction. It is on a collision course with what the world believes about the nature of mankind. You do understand that. People profoundly disagree with the Holy Spirit, with the Apostle Paul's assessment of our condition. It is not, it's not shocking to hear. It's all over the place. Listen to an example. David Allen, editorial director of CNN Health and Wellness, asked the question, which we've all asked before, are people inherently uh, evil, violent, or are just some people evil? Can we stop violence? Listen to Mr. Allen. He continues, our answers to these questions are more than philosophical. They influence how we process the world around us, making us optimistic or pessimistic, hopeful or scared. He continues, when we hear about bad things happening, especially when lives of many are lost 
or damaged at the hands of a few. We need to remind ourselves that people are generally good. We are hardwired for goodness. Remember, we start from a place of moral purity. It's a pretty strong statement, but he backs it up with his premise. He continues, imagine a stranger's baby is about to fall off a chair next to you. You would try to catch it, right? Intuition tells you that you can count on nearly everyone to try to catch that baby, too. Empathy is an evolutionary gift, an instinct that, that extends in concentric circles from the self to loved ones, to community, to countries, for the enlightened of all humanity. Everyone is capable of widening one's circle. And he concludes with this statement, which baffles my mind. Despite thousands of years of war, rape, homicide, and other violence, we are still fundamentally baby catchers. I know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but is that, is that just a little contradiction there? Does that sound a little bit like, wait a minute. After thousands of years of people killing one another, we are inherently good. We are inherently morally pure. I'm sorry, but that's not what the truth of Scripture tells us. Never once, and we know this, we've talked about this, never once have we sat down with our children or our grandchildren and said, okay, this is what I want you to do when you don't get your way. I want you to just throw your head back. I want you to lay on the floor and kick and scream at, like bloody murder. Like we've never taught anyone to do that. And they somehow figure that out themselves. This is, this is how you pick a fight with your little sister. Yeah. This is how you, you what? Take something that's not yours. No one teaches people how to do that. Something within, and that something within is what is referred to in Romans chapter 3 right here in this rather difficult, dark text for us. Again, what? Dealing primarily with the criticisms of who's the, who's the, who's the forgive me, but who's the troublemakers in the Roman church at this particular time? It's Jewish believers who are trying to add to salvation. Works-based, law-based mode of salvation. So Paul has what he's consistently, over these first three chapters, built a very strong case for the plight of mankind apart from the intervention of God. So as he speaks primarily to the Jewish audience that are what? Causing some of this bad theology, bad teaching to seep out in their doctrine... What does he do? He actually brilliantly goes to a quote from one of their heroes. As it is written, let's quote your hero, King David. A man after God's own heart. Every Jewish person esteemed King David. So, so what, what is Paul? Brilliantly, he's making a case here. Let's, let's see what your hero says. Remember your hero? It's not one, not one of you that are righteous. No, not one. And that, that description, I understand the summary here. 
Let me just briefly kind of review what you just heard, what I just read to you. No one understands the mind of God. No one actually naturally seeks after God. Apart from God, it says that we're, we would become worthless. No one does good on their own. I'm sorry. If everyone was a baby catcher, then there wouldn't be bloodshed and war and violence. And the truth of Scripture says what? Your throat is stinking and rotting. That's what it says. Your tongue, what? Lies and curses. You're bitter. Your, fa your, your, your feet race on paths of ruin and misery to shed blood. No one ha naturally has any fear of God. And like, well, just thank you, Mary. Wrap that up with some tinsel and some pretty paper. Put a bow on that little truth, huh? That sells well at Christmas. Let's put some cheering Christmas music on. Let's bake some Christmas cookies because this is pretty festive. Merry Christmas to you too. People, however you package the truth of Scripture, the truth remains the same. There's only one way to consider this particular text. It's dark. The premise looks and cuts right to the depths of our own hearts, of my own heart. As Robert Robinson wrote in 1758, that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But you know what? It's in the darkest, it's in the darkest of nights that we get a glimpse of the brightest of lights. Who is that? The brightest of lights is when Jesus, the Son of God, arrives. Now, now the, the text concludes this portion, the whole world will be held accountable to God in verse 19. That even if you were to abide, like if you were to abide by every single, like, nuance of the law no human being will be justified in his sight but the only thing that will actually benefit us is that we'll be more aware we'll have more knowledge of our sin that's what verse 20 says following laws coming to church rules and and regs will never ever 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 get you and earn you a place in heaven but what? In the midst of all of that depressing and oppressing darkness and blackness, something changed. Something happened with the arrival when an angel comes before this dear little teenage woman young woman, and says, hey, Mary, you're going to be a mommy. And she's like, what? When, when this young man, Joseph, gets word in a dream that has Joseph, you are going to be a daddy. And we know the story. 
It, it, it lines up this week. We'll hear and we will move and Lord willing, we'll move quietly. Shepherds and, and, and sheep and stable and, and swaddling clothes and a star. A star that points to something happened. Something broke the blackness. Remember the canvas? Be okay, 3.0? Like something shattered all of that. Officially, what well, technically it's referred to as the doctrine, hold on to this, it is it's referred to as the incarnation of the Son of God. That's, that's what all of Christmas is about. It's about the incarnation. What is that? The Son of God descends. He, he stooped down to dwell among us as one of us. Where the Son of God personally assumed human nature in the virgin's womb and thus became a human being, a servant, in order to realize the Father's saving will now the incarnation of god we are saturated in scripture with this truth it would be impossible for me to preach one message on the incarnation of god we will look at one verse i would invite you and encourage you christmas eve will gather together to celebrate the incarnation we will look at one verse john chapter 1 verse 14 that says what the word became flesh and dwelt among us but there are a multitude of scriptures romans chapter 1 verse 3 2 corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 galatians chapter 4 verse 4 philippians chapter 2 first timothy chapter 3 many of them i was like where do i go like how do i describe this morning, I just want to look at one, just briefly, in closing. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We get a glimpse of this incarnation. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Listen very carefully. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death... He might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He Hebrews chapter 2 is a beautiful text on the incarnation where we see ourselves, that Jesus became one of us. Now, I don't think we can ever fully capture the essence of just how bright this light is in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this backdrop. In short, just pause. Without ceasing to be fully God, 
the Son of Man became a human being. Without ceasing to be Lord, the Son of God, what? Became a servant. And we, don't, we can't even comprehend one divine person, one divine person, and two natures. It is often referred to, what? As, as one of the great gospel mysteries. Where, where this truth is so mammoth that we can't jam it into our tiny little heads and fully understand. It's just, it's just what, a mystery. And of all of the mysteries, the psalmist refers to what, this as what, the greatness of it is unsearchable. It's actually unknowable at some level. Theologian Brockle wrote that the incarnation must always remain an unfathomable source of adoration. I think that gives us a glimpse of how we approach Christmas. Like God left the glories and he's in the, the, the stench of a stable. Like we don't get that, but we approach that with what? An unfathomable source of adoration. We adore, but we don't fully get it. We, we confess, we admit that we don't fully understand the incarnation. We cannot explain to everyone the mystery of the incarnation. This fall I was introduced to a 4th century writer, Archbishop of Constantinople. His name is Gregory of Nicianzus. And I was actually assigned this book to read, and I was like, 4th century, really? Like, what does this have to do with Lock Haven, Pennsylvania? Like I, I'm struggling. And I kind of approached the book, forgive me, I know you're shocked by this, with a bit of a BA, bad attitude. Like I was like, really? Really? You know what? You know, you know what? Fourth century, do some math. This is 21st century. Yeah, we got about 1,600 years. Something like that. You know what I've discovered? They wrote really good in the fourth century. Really, really good. Listen to what Gregory of Nicianzus writes as he describes for us, as I can't fully fathom the mystery. None of us will be able to listen to his words. He was tempted, speaking of Jesus, he was tempted as man, but he conquered as God. Yea, he bids us be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. He hungered, but he fed thousands. Yea, he is the bread that gives life, and that is of heaven. He thirsted, but he cried, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Yea, he promised that fountains should flow from them that believe. He was wearied, but he is the rest of them that are weary and heavy laden. He prays, but he hears our prayers. He weeps, but he causes tears to cease. Listen to this. He asked where Lazarus was laid, for he was man. But he raises Lazarus, for he was God. He is sold and very cheap, for it is only for 30 pieces of silver. But he redeems the world, and that at a great price, for the price of his own blood. As a sheep, he is led to the slaughter, but he is the shepherd of Israel. 
and now of the whole world also. He is lifted up and nailed to the tree, but by the tree of life, he restores us. Yea, he saves even the robber who was crucified with him. Yea, he wrapped the visible world in darkness. He lays down his life, but he has the power to take it again. And the veil is rent, for the mysterious doors of heaven are opened. The rocks are cleft. The dead arise you just you just can't top like that's that's a long time ago and yet he just paints a picture that helps us understand a little bit about what the word of god is teaching us this morning we have to hold tight today in the midst of the darkness around us that there is a light that there is good news the good news is not going to come from your moral improvement okay Catch all the babies you want. Yes, we're called to do that, by all means. But that's not going to save us. The good news is not going to be a, a Christian society. It's not going to be a political system. doesn't matter if it's democratic or totalitarian, capitalist or socialist. It doesn't matter. What matters is what? The announcements that we celebrate this week in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to earth to live an obedient life, died a sacrificial death, rose to life again, and accomplished what? Redemption for us from sin and death and hell. And what has Jesus done? He's enabled and offered us a means to be reconciled, even as unholy people to a holy God. That truth is the light that cuts the darkness of this world. That we are truly justified, not by our works ever, ever. Not any work, but we are declared righteous based solely upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can accurately call it, and we should what passionately call it. Light in darkness. Light in darkness. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I am most grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us when he ministered here on this earth a picture for us that we would not quickly forget. And that is what? That's what we celebrate this morning with the communion table. Where Jesus Christ was teaching these guys. <laughs> I just, I can't wait to spend some time with those 12. And we, we would all, what we, we could, any one of us could be there. And Jesus is teaching, and he's healing, and he's ministering, and he's preaching. And they're kind of like watching, but they don't fully get it gathers them together in the upper room and he's speaking prophetically this is what's going to happen and they're like uh-huh 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 he says and he says i want to give you something so you're not going to forget me i want to give you something so you don't forget what you're about to see jesus what brilliantly master teacher 
establishes what we, what, part of the definition of who we are as a church is that we gather to remember the communion table. We, we gather to remember what Jesus Christ has done. Object lessons. We remember it. We, we touch it. We taste it. We, we, we smell it. And that's what Jesus did when he, what, he took bread, unleavened bread, just like this. It's kind of flat. And it's an object lesson. He said, this is a picture of my body. This is what's going to happen to me. Remember, this is the night that he was betrayed. This is before that moment, before the cross. Before he was tortured and beat and whipped and nailed. And he gave bread out and he broke it. And as he broke the bread in front of his disciples, he said, this is a picture of what's going to happen to my body. My body is going to be broken. And I think that they were kind of wincing from the description of the brokenness. And then Jesus shocks them by says, I want you to eat my body. And they pass around a loaf and they all ate. He said, it's a picture of how much I love you by my willingness to sacrifice my own body for you. And we know that Jesus, what, also took the cup, the fruit of the vine. He took some wine and he poured it out into a cup. And he, as he poured it out, he said, just as this flows into this cup, my blood is going to flow. That's exactly what happened. Within hours, the blood of Jesus was poured out. Why? Because he saw us in our darkness and he kept the promise to be the light of the world. And the only way, the only way that the bleakness and the blackness could ever, ever be solved was by the light of Jesus shattering it. Offering his own life to pay the price, to die. So we don't have to. So we can live. So we can have life and have it more abundantly. And then he took the cup. And, and they probably had one big cup that they just passed around. They all took a sip. As they tasted it, as they swallowed it, he said, remember my blood that is shed for you. That cleanses you and washes you. We have an opportunity. We have a privilege. And I'm so thankful that this is the this is the sunday just as we begin to approach the celebration of the incarnation we 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 remember why jesus came so we invite you i invite you if you are a follower of the lord jesus christ you put your faith knowing that you have acknowledged the fact yes i'm a sinner no one taught me how to sin i figured that out on my own repeatedly i'm really good at it because of my sin, I deserve death. But I see what Jesus Christ has done to pay for mine. And I accept him. I accept the payments. I trust him as my savior. And now you strive to be as hard as it is. And I know how hard it is every day to die to self, to live in full submission and obedience. But I desire to live with Jesus as Lord of my life. If you're a believer, then this will be served to you and Please take this and receive this and remember what Jesus Christ has done. If you're here this morning and you have not made that decision, you've never had a moment that, that you have acknowledged the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And I would respectfully ask you, please don't take this. It would be meaningless for you. But I would also invite you that if you know that you're in need of a Savior, that you know the way that you're living your life right now is a complete disaster, that you need to submit and surrender to Him as Lord. Scripture says what? Today is the day of salvation. You can, you can make that choice. And you can celebrate alongside of us. If you're visiting with us today, you're not a member of Big Woods Bible Church, okay, but you've acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior, then please take this. This is for you as well, brothers and sisters. We're family. We're going to have the elders and some deacons come forward. And just in light of things being a little bit different, they're not going to serve you. So we're going to, in a moment, um, invite you up to come to one of these three stations. Um, one to my right, one to my left, and one right in the middle. There'll be elders and deacons here to serve you. And I would ask that you take both the bread and the cup with you. Correct? Because this is new for us. And then we'll go back to our seats and we will partake of that together after a moment of prayer. Take a moment. Thank the Lord for what he has done. Celebrate his goodness. Recognize his light. And I invite you to come to the community table this morning.
others. I just can't get that song. Come let us adore him. Just come let us adore him. I know it's late. I, I just, just, just listen carefully before we pray. He had no form or majesty that we should ever look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. Light and darkness. Father, we adore you. We thank you for, as hard as it is, being reminded of the need that we have, the, the desperate, fallen, sin nature that exists and abides in all of us, the blackness of a painted canvas. And yet we thank you that you, you broke that darkness with light. We thank you, Lord, that you saw us you came and you saved us when we did not deserve to be saved. Father, thank you for this body of believers that have gathered for your day that we can just set aside and, and, and worship you. Thank you for the elements right now before us, the, the bread that we are about to eat that is a pitcher of your body and the cup that is a pitcher of your blood. Help us, Lord, as we go through these next couple of days and we celebrate the incarnation, may we also remember why you came to die for us. We thank you for that. Bless this bread. Bless this cup. And Father, may we be reminded today of the fact that you've now called us to be light in a dark world. Help us to speak to others quickly. Help us to get to the subject, the brokenness and the darkness, so that we can get to you and others can come to know you just as we do. We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. It says that on the Lord, on the, on the, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I know how we look forward to when he comes.